More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Recent court filing by the special counsel, John Durham, stated that a technology executive whose company was hired by the White House to provide internet-related services was exploiting the sense of agreement and his access to the White House Internet domain name information to work with the Clinton campaign operatives in 2016 to create a, quote, false narrative that rival candidate Donald Trump was colluding with Russia. We also know now that Hillary Clinton's campaign from 2016 has been fined uh, because they broke the rules when they were supporting and paying for misinformation, the Russia hoax uh, BS that they put out there in the world that actually they used to impeach Donald Trump. Now, a quick reminder, if you're listening to this podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe or auto download button and tell your friends about this podcast. Share this on social media. And if you would write us a five-star review to help us as Democrats have been attacking our podcast recently with bad reviews. Now, joining me is United States Senator Marsha Blackburn, I know we got a lot to talk about, but but let's first talk about Hillary Clinton's campaign, Senator. We we know the laptop from Hunter Biden is real. All right. That's a fact. We You and I have known that for years, but that's big because now Democrats right. are admitting it. Yeah. We now know that Hillary Clinton's campaign has been fined for doing an illegal activity, which was which was paying for misinformation. The same thing that they said Russia cannot do and is a threat to our democracy. Uh, Let's get your take on that, and then let's move to this other legislation. Yes, and what the Clinton campaign, what the FEC has done is to find them exactly as you said, because what they were doing was colluding and working with these outside entities to build out this narrative. Now, it started out as one of these campaign disinformation plots. And let's make up a story and let's blame Donald Trump for this because he is our opponent. And then, as you said, it grew from that. And it's one of those things where 
someone is a sore loser, and I know parents deal with this all the time with kids. I did with mine. Something comes up, they are they end up losing. They're angry about it, and they want to lash out. Well, what the Clinton campaign did was to try to discredit Trump, blame him for something that was not true. They made it up, and then they built out this narrative. Then they got the FBI in on it, and the Russia collusion hoax came about. And then that brings you to 2020, as you mentioned, with the Biden, Hunter Biden laptop fiasco and the way Joe Biden continued to say his son never discussed any business dealings with him and the way the media covered for Hunter Biden, saying that he was not involved in these transactions, and of course his business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, said he is involved and laid out what was there, and now the New York Times and Washington Post have said the laptop is real, the accusations are real, and this is why uh, those of us on Senate Judiciary Committee have continued to support John Durham in his investigation and the indictments that he's bringing forward because we need to get to the bottom of this. Let me ask you this, Senator. I am worried now that there is no way that any private citizen or, uh, for that matter, the president of the United States of America, if he's of the wrong party, the Republican Party, the GOP, a conservative, can trust the United States government. I'm talking about the FBI, the deep state, the DOJ, Because everybody knew while they were using the Steele dossier and while they were using all of this to impeach Donald Trump, the deep state, the FBI, the DOJ knew that this was all paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaign and they knew it wasn't legitimate. And they still allowed what I would refer to as nothing more than the potential overthrow of the will of the people by impeaching a president based on a false narrative a lie, they knew it was a lie, and they still allowed it to happen. Do you have any faith in the DOJ or the FBI at this point, knowing that they could have stopped all this, saying, no, this is not real, and Hillary Clinton's campaign paid for it? And that is exactly what they should have done the minute it was presented to them. But it's like they were all in on building this out, and it took on this life of its own. And that is the reason that people do not have faith in this DOJ and in this Justice Department. And when they hear somebody blamed for something, they're saying, hey, wait a minute. I want to see why. And I want more of the detail, and I want to hear the other side of the story from this person. And, of course, Trump kept saying at the top of his lungs, they're making this up. I don't have this involvement. I'm not – this has never happened. And the media kept saying Donald Trump is lying. And then Trump kept saying, no, they're spying on me. What do we know now? (laughs) They were spying on him. He was right about every bit of that. And that does bring us to this legislation. It is one of those things 
that is so beyond what you would believe because you don't expect this kind of activity. But Ben, they went in and they somehow got this individual that had this contract to come into their little cabal and then they used him to snoop so that they could say, we've got inside sources, and to blame Donald Trump for this myriad of things, uh, spying on people in the White House. And as I've told you before, uh, when you look at what was happening with Trump Tower and the spying there as he was president-elect Trump, and then going into the White House, I vice chaired the uh, transition committee for President Trump, and I still cannot find out from DOJ if they were monitoring my email, my phone calls. I don't know. They have still not responded to me. Devin Nunes was uh, a vice chair of that. Uh, he's also asked, and these are things we'd like to know. Were you, without our knowledge, were you in here spying? And let's be clear for people, because I, I think this matters so much. We know now, Senator, that they were spying on Trump from the very beginning uh, when he was president-elect. We know that they had insiders spying on what was going in and out of the White House, right, with, 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 with monitoring the Internet. We know that they were lying um, about the spying and they were lying about Donald Trump and they were lying about the, the, the you know, this report and this steel dossier. We know that the DOJ knew of all these lies and we know that the FBI was was this. This to me sounds like a active coup attempt by the former Obama administration slash uh, the Democratic Party, because even after they knew all of this was set up on purpose by the left, they still went with it to impeach the president. Is there going to be any accountability for this? Or is this just like, yeah, we did it. Deal with it. No, we're not going to let them get by with saying, yeah, we did it. And it took you four years to prove it, five years, six years, whatever. This is why we are continuing to push the Durham report. And it is why we had pushed Bill Barr to move him from an investigator to moving him to a special counsel so they could not shut this down. And we were successful in doing that before President Trump left office. And being able to go back and say, okay, building out this whole story, this is what has transpired. This is what they did. Here is the proof. Hunter Biden's laptop is a big part of this because what did they do? They said, okay, you know, we're, uh, we're going to push, um, we're going to push this collusion through DOJ. And you've got James Comey and Peter Strzok, all these people that were involved and in knowing in this. And Durham has already had a couple of indictments. The Sussman indictment was an important one. And giving him the time to do his job and bring this forward so we will know and have that complete workup of what happened, when it happened, who all was involved, and then 
have them with the indictments, with the trials that will ensue from that. Two other questions I want to ask for you real quick. Uh, Hunter Biden and what we are witnessing now with Hunter Biden, the laptop, this investigation. uh, If you if this was Donald Trump, uh, Don Jr. or Eric or any one of the Trump family members, there would be wall to wall coverage. How has he not been, uh, I would say, one arrested? And how is the White House um, not concerned over bringing down this entire White House? I mean, there's no way to separate Hunter Biden and the finance of what I refer to as the Biden crime family from the president. None of these deals exist without without Joe Biden's involvement. None of the money that was coming into Hunter Biden based on his emails would have been possible. No one would have been speaking to Hunter Biden on his own if it wasn't for selling the access to his father when he was the vice president and now the president with these deals. And yet the media is just continuing to act like this is not a story. I I believe they are worried, finally, that this could bring down this presidency. Your reaction? I I think you can see that they're finally worried about this because the New York Times and Washington Post admitting that the laptop and the emails are real and that the connections are there. They obviously know that um, what had been accused, what the Bidens had been accused of is accurate because now as Durham is continuing this investigation, as he has people that are indicted that are now talking, then what they're doing is getting this information to pull it together. But then it just shows you there were good actors and bad actors in DOJ and FBI. And the people that are the good actors that are there that are doing their job, they want to be able to rebuild that trust in the FBI and in the DOJ. So this is going to be the time for them to stand up and do their job and to rid the DOJ and the FBI of these people that had politicized their job and were putting an agenda in front of what they were supposed to be doing. Lastly, I want to ask you about this hot mic that uh, caught a school board member literally asking to set Senator Marsha Blackburn on fire. This happened during a meeting of the Metropolitan Nashville Board of Public Education this week, and this hot mic caught a board member pondering, can we just go set Marsha Blackburn on fire Uh, Your reaction to, again, another liberal caught on a hot mic uh, wanting you to be caught on fire. And unfortunately, we're seeing this be a trend around the country when they don't like someone that's speaking, a parent, uh, a concerned citizen, or you as a senator. Well, and that is what they did. And it was caught. It is being investigated by law enforcement. Uh, We're going to leave all of that with them. But to the broader point, it shows you how far the left is pushing to take control of classrooms, what kids are learning, to disrupt um, our school system, to cause confusion, to cause division. And I do not know this school board member. They were upset with my line of questioning when I questioned um, Judge Jackson, who is nominated for the Supreme Court. I did a line of questioning on CRT and 
the woke kindergarten program that is taught. It's a private school where she's on the school board. And I asked about the Virginia Military Institute decision that Justice Ginsburg wrote, where she said there are enduring differences between male and female. <clears throat> and Judge Jackson said she wasn't familiar with that case and couldn't give me an opinion. So I looked at her and I said, well, can you give me the definition of woman? And she said, I can't. So this school board member was obviously upset with me doing the job I'm elected to do, which is to ask hard questions of people that are up for a lifetime appointment on the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, it's part of the job. It's You did your job, and it's sad that people say they should yeah. set you on fire because of it. Senator, appreciate your time. We'll talk to you again, I'm sure, real soon. But it. Keep it up. Thank you, ma'am. This past week, um, I got a phone call uh, from someone that I do business with. Many of you know that I own a, a gun range uh, and a gun store, and we buy a lot of ammo. And one of the guys I buy ammo from, we become colleagues, friends. And during the ammo shortage, you get to know people and you want to make sure that when you pay for ammo, you're giving it to good human beings. Uh, There's a lot of people you can buy from and uh, you want to make sure uh, that you source it from people that are have integrity and honesty. And and that's actually how I met Ken Cooper through another colleague. And he told me about this story about his friend, Andrew Slobazian. And his grandparents getting out of Ukraine. And he was telling me um, about what they've been doing, trying to help many of the people that have had to flee Ukraine, getting them basic necessities. We have well over a million people that have been forced to flee Ukraine, and they're in desperate need of basic things. And then he started telling me uh, about a friend of his by the name of Andrew Sobazian and how his grandparents were involved in what's happening in Ukraine. And I said, we were talking about, I said, we got to tell this story because it's such a great story and there's people that need help and we can help them. And I'm going to bring them on now. Ken Cooper is a colleague of mine and, and his friend, Andrew uh, Slobazian. Uh Andrew, Ken, I appreciate both you guys coming on and, uh, Ken, this story, I want to I start with um, really, I guess I'd say Andrew's part of the story. You have a direct connection to Ukraine, specifically through family members. Talk a little bit about what, you know, your connection and what's going on right now in Ukraine. Absolutely. And thank you, Ben, for having me. Um, so I, it's been a wild ride, to say the least. And we're certainly not seeing it firsthand, but reliving it through our family members. So um, as you mentioned, uh, yes, we do have a lot of family members, grandparents, uh, you know, uncles, cousins, thing, and, and others that still live there. And it has been wild, um, to say the least, just hearing from them, you know, from the time that Russia first invaded Ukraine to the bombs going off, um, you know, my grandparents windows getting blown out uh, from their apartment buildings that they live in because of a bomb landing close by. And then finally, I mean, they're in their 80s, so it took a while uh, to convince them to, you know, it's time to leave. 
and they finally did, and that was a very harrowing journey for them. And what would normally take probably a day to make the trip, uh, you know, took multiple days, um, countless hours, and just a lot of luck uh, <laughs> to get to get from Kharkov, uh, where they live, to all the way through Kiev, all the way to Lviv uh, on the west side, and then through the Polish border. So. I want to. I just got to step away. back. I got to step back for a second, and, and yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking about you guys getting phone calls from your 80 year old grandparents who are in Ukraine. You're witnessing and watching what's happening on TV. You're seeing that war is about to break out. There's all these telegraphs coming from Putin that this is going to go down. You know they're there. You obviously want them to leave, and I'm sure they're saying, "Look, we're 80. This is our home. Yeah. We're not leaving." How long did it take you guys? How many weeks were they in a in in the war going on before they finally decided? Okay, are you guys convinced them just to get out? Sure, it was about two weeks. It was two weeks, and Kharkiv got hit pretty hard. And I think the back and forth of Ukrainian army versus Russian army, you know, back and forth fighting, bombs going off until they finally said, listen, it's getting close. I mean, they hear these bombs all the time. When I was talking to them on the phone, you hear the sirens going off in the background, and we do it through Skype, you know, so I can see their their worries, things like that. But it took two weeks until they said, you know what, we got to do this or we're not going to make it out alive. So they finally, you know, pulled the trigger and made the move, and everything worked out in the end. How hard was the evacuation process? I mean, at that point, you're in an active war zone. Your grandparents are, I should say. Uh, you're trying to figure out the logistics. It's not like you can just say, hey, go to the airport and catch this plane. I booked you yeah. on it at, at 127 out of Terminal C. It doesn't work right. that way at this point. So what did the logistics look like for, for them? Absolutely. So luckily they were close to a train station, which is more of like a local train station. It's not one that runs, you know, through different countries, through Europe. So it was a matter of going there and standing in line. Uh, my grandma was telling me the story of exactly what happened is the lines were astronomical. And you don't know, you go there not knowing whether you're getting on a train or not. It, you're not buying tickets or anything like that. It's kind of first come, first first you know uh first come first get and uh and they stood in line somebody else said hey there's going to be a train pulling up on another line that's going to be going through kiev to uh lviv or a town right outside of lviv and they said listen we know where that is that's on the western side of ukraine we have to go there because um otherwise we'd be standing here for days so they jumped a couple lines and again, these are 80-year-old women making this trek with nothing but a little backpack on because that's all you can take with you. Um, Andrew, I, I can't imagine. First, you had to convince your uh, grandparents to leave a country they didn't want to leave and leave their home. But what was the conversation like when they're even talking about what to take? I mean, there's got to be a grieving process there in a sense where – you, you know there's a good chance you're probably never going to come back, and your stuff, if you do come back, may not be there. It may be destroyed from the bombing. How did they even decide what to take? Yeah, I mean, it was. I, I think it was a last-minute um, decision as far as what are my most valuable things, and most of it is, you know, identification documents, passports, 
you know, titles, deeds, things like that. I think that's pretty much the most the the most important things that they took it. So everything, Ben, that you would put in your safe, I think was thrown into a backpack and that's what most everybody's leaving with just enough to get them by for a couple days. Um, and that's it. And documents that's, that's all they left with, with the clothes on their back and a little backpack. What, what about money at that point? I mean, they stayed for two weeks during the war. What happened with money, the banking, all of those things that most people Ask me questions about. They ask that same question. What do you do with this? How does this work? Sure. And I think they took some. I don't want to, I don't know if I know the details as far as the exact amounts that were taken or anything like that. But again, enough to get by what the, the one really positive thing that I've heard from both of my grandparents coming through this process is anybody that they offered money to everybody turned it down um, in Western Ukraine, where they stayed a night with a family that was hosting them to, you know, the bus drivers uh, to, you know, individuals in Poland that were helping them out. Everybody said, listen, we, you can pay it forward. You can, you can buy some supplies for the next family that's going to be coming through our house. But they said we would be, you know, dishonored if we were to take your money. So that was, that was a really positive thing. A lot of individuals helping individuals. Let, let's talk about um, their homes that they left. Do they know about what the status is of their property at this point? Is there anyone there to even contact or talk to neighbors, family, friends to say, hey, is is my home still standing? Not at this time. Um, you know, they had some close relatives and friends that, that still stayed back but nobody that they've been in contact with. So at this point, it's, you know, your guess is as good as mine if it's still standing. We just do not know. Let, let's talk about the refugee um, aspect of this, the crisis. Well over a million people have fled Ukraine now. Uh, your parents' journey, how long of a journey was it, and where are they now? Sure. So my grandparents, so they made it, you know, that train trip, um, it was pretty much an 18-hour train trip with, it, I mean, it was packed. Like they said, it was like packed like sardine cans. You were shoulder to shoulder, no place to sit. And if there were some seats, people were taking turns sitting on them, pretty much one bathroom per, you know, train cart. So it was just packed. But people would do anything to get out. And then they stayed a couple nights with a family uh, in Lviv and then took a bus ride, which would normally be a couple hours through the Polish border, which I think took 18 hours um, on a bus to get from Western Ukraine to Warsaw, um, where, where some of my family members, my mom, um, flew over from Detroit to Warsaw to meet them just to make sure they get situated, you know, and then we started working on uh, getting them over to the United States, which, which they had their visas, so everything, you know, logistically worked out well other than just buying a ticket, taking the COVID test. But, again, something that would normally take a couple hours was taken, you know, three-quarters of a day. They're now in the U.S., which I think is an incredible part of this story, and luckily they have family members like you guys are aiding and helping and supporting. When you When you look back over the last several weeks – from a monetary standpoint, what did it cost to get them out, get them where they need to be, get them to America? 
I don't know if I would be able to even put a number on that. Flights there, uh, hotels there, which were incredibly hard to find in, in, in uh, Poland. Uh, flights back, you know, things there. What's nice is, like I said, in Poland and Warsaw, there were a lot of, you know, individuals willing to help, to help, and not just individuals, but businesses. Cafes were, you know, offering free to almost, you know, very, very cheap food to refugees and things like that. I would say monetarily, um, overall, five to ten thousand. Amazing. And you think, and the reason why I bring up that number is there's a lot of people that are refugees that don't have five, ten grand to to be able to pull off uh, what you guys were able to pull off for your family, which brings me to to the other part of this conversation. Uh, Ken, I want to bring you in real quick because when you called me, you said we're putting together basic needs and necessities and helping get them to people that need them, the refugees, those that have fled Ukraine. Uh, and, and you're doing this just because of this connection um, with your friend Andrew and this story. And, and I want to pick it up there. When did you realize this was something, and, and you deal with logistics, you guys ship from around the world and the business world that you're in, but when did you realize this is something we need to get involved in and we need to do it right now? Yeah, so you're exactly right. We're out to dinner. We're, we're talking about the grandparents that I've met, that I've stood on the sidelines with Andrew and his grandparents at my daughter's soccer game. She's nine years old. And, you know, you go from the last time I saw these people, we're cheering on nine-year-old girls playing soccer to now we're having dinner talking about how we need to hurry up and help get these folks out of Ukraine before things get bad and giving them our support and hoping that things don't get bad. And nobody knew. I mean, this is a month ago. Nobody knew that Putin was about to invade. And we pull in our driveways and we find out, oh, my gosh. I mean, literally 20 minutes ago when we left the restaurant, it was, hey, we wish them the best. And then we pull in our homes and we find out the invasion has started. And these people are most likely stuck over there. And it's heart-wrenching. And so you fast forward. This thing drags on a couple of weeks. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I'm talking to our freight forwarder, who is our logistics international shipping agent, who gets goods all around the globe. And he tells me, we're talking about a, a load that I'm bringing in from Europe of goods. And he says, hey, I got to hop off this call. If this is about air freight that I'm sending to Ukraine tomorrow. And I have to take this call because these are urgent goods to help the refugees. And so what kind, of, what kind of stuff are we talking about? He said, well, medical, uh, first aid, sanitation, stuff for the refugee camps. You know, we have to get it there because there's millions of people coming across the border. But when he tells me the kind of stuff that he needs, I go, hey, I, I got a friend I think might be able to help with this. So I hang up the phone. I call one of my best friends here in Finley, Ohio. His name's Rich Kramer. He and his dad, Paul, run City Uniforms and Linen. They're, they're like a uniform and janit- janitorial and sanitation company. Sure. And he says, man, I've got like 12 12 pallets of that stuff. I think I could get it out of here like tomorrow if you're ready for it. So we organize the goods. We send it to our freight forwarder who has a nonprofit arm of their business. It's related, but obviously a separate entity. It's a 501c3, and they do amazing stuff all over the globe, South Africa and Bosnia and Lebanon and Panama. They've got orphanages and hospitals and uh, schools. And he said, man, this is what we do. The fact that we and, and by the way, this the is this is the moment us- where I say to people, this is why I have no doubt there's a God. And, and I say that because right. I, I don't think that any of what you're just describing with what you do and shipping and this dinner 
and this relationship and and knowing that you knew someone that had a, a large quantity of these goods that are desperately needed from a from from a company that just does something that's so you know basic right i mean this isn't sexy but this is exactly what the people need the basic things that you need uh in life and to be able to know how to even get it there i it's incredible to me that all this is happening just from random people talking and and i and i say it's amazing and i believe there's a god because i don't think all this happens by accident Ben, you're absolutely right, because you, me, and countless of other Americans, obviously a lot of them are going to be listening to your show, everybody's heart goes out. We, if you have a heart and you watch television, you listen to the radio, you see what's going on, you go, I want to do something. I feel for those people. It's aside from the politics. These are people fleeing their homes to escape getting bombed or shot down, right? They're leaving everything they have behind. How can I help is the, is the question that comes to mind, and you feel powerless generally because the world feels so big. But in this case, you're right. God put people in each other's pathways. One guy knew how to get stuff where it needs to go. Another guy knew somebody else who had the right stuff. We make the connection, and the project has gone from there. And so we. So, we, so we let's talk about this stuff. I, I, let's talk about this stuff real quick. When you say this is the basic things needed, explain how basic these things are that they people desperately need. Yeah. So we'll give them a, a, a website they can hop to to see the specifics. But in general. We're talking about hygiene supplies. So it's soap, shampoo, lotion, Q-tips, Band-Aids, antiseptic wipes, just things that it takes people to get toothbrush, toothpaste through their day-to-day life. Because like Andrew said, when his 80-year-old grandma grabs her stuff, she grabbed the documents that prove who she is so that she can maybe someday get back to the home that she left. And that's it. That's all they have. Yeah, one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand, and Andrew, you can probably talk to this real quick, is they weren't allowing you to bring luggage while traveling when you were trying to get out of Ukraine. Many people I've talked to said they left their luggage at the bus stops or the train stops because they said no luggage. You could take a bag. Like imagine getting on a flight, leaving your home country, and all you can take is your carry-on because they said we just don't have the room for a suitcase with personal belongings outside of the paperwork you described. And that's probably what your grandparents dealt with as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there were so many seen pictures and, you know, firsthand testimonials of just things, just bags, luggages, just left, you know, at the train station, at the bus stations, because every time they, you know, somebody wants to take a big piece of luggage, that could be a person sitting in that spot. So no luggage, just, just a very, very small carry-on size bag. Quickly, guys, tell people where they can go to help. If you want to make a donation uh, and you want to help pay for the shipping costs, because this is one of the things I think it's so neat about what you guys are doing is this is really simple. There's goods that are already there, and we just need to help raise the money through this nonprofit to send the stuff that people need. So tell people where they can go, what website, and how they can get involved. And so folks go to buffalocartridge.com. That's our business that does uh, the ammunition you were referring to earlier. If they go to buffalocartridge.com and scroll down to the middle of the page, they'll see Project Help Now. And you can see a complete overview of the project, but there is a link to DT Care. And that's the nonprofit that's linked to the logistics company that's getting this stuff where it needs to go and getting getting it distributed on the ground. And Ben, you're 100% right. We have goods flowing in from all over the country 
What we need help with from your listeners right now is for people who can help pay for the air freight to get it where it needs to go. The nonprofit is doing their best. They're stretching their resources as far as they can. But there are millions of people who need these goods. And so if you go to our website, buffalocartridge.com, go to Project Help Now, or if you go directly to the nonprofit, which is dtcare.org forward slash donate. I don't care if it's $10, $20, whatever you can spare, God bless you, because you are directly paying for goods to get to people who left their homes behind, and we're providing what they need to continue on. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys on tonight is because this is all being done um, by people that are volunteering their time just like you, uh, and that's why I love it. This is not some big, grand corporate operation. This is people that are hitting pause with their daily lives and their work, what you guys do with Ammo Every Day, to, to add this to your website to help get the goods over there needed because of a personal connection between you and Andrew. Uh, and, and that's why I love this, because you want to talk about shoestringing shoe it. This is shoestringing it, and I think it's so great. So, Andrew, I'm so happy that you've gotten your grandparents here to the U.S., uh, it's, it's part of the miracle of this story that they're one alive until you got them here. Uh, and Ken, thank you for, for hitting pause with your work life, uh, to, to spend the time to do this. Uh, and again, one more time for people that are listening tonight, the two websites you can go to, uh, if you want to make a donation and help. So it's buffalocartridge.com and then click the link to project now. Or you can go directly to the nonprofit website, which is dtcare.org forward slash donate. There you go. All right, guys, Andrew, thank you uh, for coming on tonight. Uh, Ken, thank you as well. And I hope that a lot of people listening will get involved. All right, lastly, please make sure you hit that subscribe button or auto download button wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. And take a moment to write us a five-star review. Uh, many on the left have been attacking our podcast, writing us bad reviews on purpose. So if you would help us fight back by writing us a good review, a five-star review, and share this podcast with your family and friends on social media to help us grow, see you back here tomorrow. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? Well, you could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run big appliances like your fridge even longer. And best of all, the new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans already trust Patriot Power Generators. So go to 4, that's the number 4, patriots.com slash Ben to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. So right now, go to 4patriots.com slash Ben. That's the number 4, patriots.com slash Ben. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. 
of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.